So Money, Episode 691, Jennifer Hemphill, author of Her Money Matters. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Happy St. Valentine's Day. Tomorrow's my birthday. I was almost born on Valentine's Day. That would have been cool. But I like February 15th as well. I believe Oprah was born this month. Happy to share birthday month with Oprah and any of you out there listening who might also be Aquariuses. Aquarii, happy birthday. Today's guest is a friend of So Money. She was on episode 117 many, many episodes ago, and she is back because she has some exciting news. Her book, Her Money Matters, The Missing Truths from Traditional Money Advice, has launched. It launched yesterday, and so we are happy to have her on to celebrate and share all the goodies with us. For those of you who didn't hear the first episode or catch that first episode with Jen, here's a little bit more about her. She is an accredited financial counselor. She's a blogger, podcaster, military wife, mom of two, and now author. I think one thing that sets Jen apart is that she really gets to the root of how our emotions and our upbringing affect our money stories. And so today we'll be talking about forgiveness, why and how to forgive yourself when it comes to your financial setbacks, to love yourself. I mean, it is Valentine's Day. Whether or not budgeting is really necessary and a critical piece about budgeting that few of us really talk about. And why most of us are only getting 10% of our financial life right. And Jen speaks from her own experience coming up on So Money right now. Jen Hemphill, welcome to So Money. You were on previously and now back with author added to your title. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be back. And it's crazy to think that when I was talking to you last time for your podcast, that was right before my own podcast launched. And so much has changed So since then. So I'm really excited to be here. And good changes. Your podcast is on a tear. Your book, Her Money Matters, then the subtitle is The Missing Truths from Traditional Money Advice. It's out now. I'm happy to say we're airing this episode in tandem with the launch of this book. What is the book really about? I mean, what is the what are the missing truths that we aren't being told? Well, really, there's so many. And basically, why I wrote this book is I found myself probably in about 10 years into our marriage, feeling stuck and not understanding why I was stuck, especially when I had been reading personal finance books. I was following the advice, but yet we were still in debt. And granted, we weren't really in a bad financial situation, but we weren't where we wanted to be. We were still in debt. We hadn't increased how much we were saving for our retirement plan. We continued to deplete our emergency funds. And I didn't understand why. So that led me on a journey as to figuring out, okay, if I'm following what the experts are telling me to do, 
what in the world am I doing wrong? And that led me to a book uh, by T. Harv Ecker called The Millionaire the the messages or the millionaire mind or I, I always the millionaire the mindset title. I think the million called- yes something like that so it's T Harvecker and that really opened up my mind as to what was going on because basically his book is all about mindset and it really struck a chord in me as to just thinking back to my childhood what I heard over and over again was uh, we don't have the money we can't afford this and that stuck. Uh, through me all throughout adulthood. But what I didn't know, and even though I knew that, I knew that I had, I, I knew that my parents said that, I knew I had those thoughts. I didn't know how much it affected my money decisions, how I felt around money. So that is part of the missing truth. Like m- my book is really structured around what I call the money headquarters. And the money headquarters hmm. are, are basically broken up in three parts the money mindset, the money actions, and the money skills. So the money mindset is what we grew up around, how we grew up around money. And it's, we have our money stories, our past, uh, present, and future. So that's a part of the money mindset part of the money headquarters. And then we have our money actions. When we think money actions, we think of negotiating our credit card interest rate, those type of things. But it's more than that. Money actions that really propel you, uh, your progress forward are talking money, which we don't do enough of, right? <laughs> Maybe in, in podcasts like this, we do. But in general, we don't talk about money just because we're scared of the stress it may cause, the arguments it may cause. But it also, I talk about increasing your financial confidence, really being patient with yourself, having that flexibility because it is a journey. So those are just some of the parts of the money actions. And our money skills, this is the part that in the money headquarters that we focus on the most, the budgeting, the saving, the getting out of debt. But in the and the scope of the money headquarters, it only fills up in what I see in my perspective, about 10% of the money headquarters. So the money mindset fills up about 60. The money actions fills up 30%. And the money skills, which we mostly focus on, 10%. And that's why I was stuck. I was focusing on that percent, that mm-hmm. 10% of the money headquarters. Well, yeah, because working through your emotional baggage is not, there's no app for that. (laughs) There's no, No. there's (laughs) no tool. You have to really be committed. You have to go through the motions. You have to tap into resources. You have to tap into yourself. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of mental work. And so when you went through that yourself, what helped you? Because there's realizing that, yeah, I have a scarcity mindset. I have issues from when I was growing up and money was this thing of, of that was limited, limiting beliefs. So you recognize that. Then what, what do you actually do to repair that, that damage? I actually started writing and writing what I, my, my reflection. So I didn't just reflect in my mind, but I started writing and it's something that I resisted for a long time, but there is just something powerful when you 
put it to paper, the, you know, connect the pen and paper that you're as you're writing these thoughts down your reflections, you know, for example, I, he- I heard a lot of we don't have the money, you are able to think through it more clearly and understand why you are still thinking that. Because there's one thing as your pat what I call the past money story is which you grew up around money, how you saw what you experienced, what, uh, what and what you heard. But we, we need to understand that and acknowledge that. And really, it's important to do it, uh, writing it down to be able to know, are we repeating the cycle? So that's your present money story. And I talk a lot about that in the book, because if we don't, we are going to continue to repeat the cycle and just be, be stuck. So it's really about how I did that was writing the my past money story down uh, and that was the reflection, but it really, I had more aha moments, more understanding and more clarity, and then writing down what my present money story looked like and comparing the two. Are, are we, am I repeating the same cycle? And I noticed that I was, right? Mm, right. And then from there, I took it a step further and I wrote down what my future money story was. So what did I want my life, our life to be? And why, what did I want to feel about money? And the feeling about money, I think is an important piece as well. Not just, we want to, yes, granted, we want to uh, have a vision of what we want in the future, but if we are still in having some uh, negative thoughts around money, that's not going to serve us. So we want to make sure that in writing, we are writing down, how do you want to feel? Are you going to feel abundant? Are you going to feel excited about looking at your checking account? Those type of things. I What I'm hearing too, is that this book gives readers some forgiveness, right? To be yes. good to yourself, to forgive yourself. Can you share a little bit more about that component to the financial headquarters strategy? Because I think, you know, with money, not only is it a taboo topic, but when we do address it, there's feelings of guilt and I should have done mm-hmm. better and feeling like you're not catching up and doing as well as others. And it's it, you can be really hard on yourself. So how do we get to a place of forgiveness? Well, one is understand where you're at currently. So understand where you're at in your financial life currently. What great things do you do with money? That's something that we don't acknowledge enough of because we automatically go to we don't do anything right or we are failing at, uh, at with our money or we got off our budget again or we overspent, whatever the case may be. So it's important to acknowledge what great things you have done. What are your strengths around money and what areas maybe need some work? So acknowledge your strengths. So that will build your confidence. And as in turn, as you're building your confidence, that will get you inspired and motivated into action. So you really need to uh, do that. And also recognize that you need to have patience. This is a process. This is a journey and you need to have flexibility. There's going to be, you're going to be in different seasons in your life in different stages where things shift, right? And you have to adjust and be willing to tweak whether your budget, uh, your spending, those type of things. You have to be flexible to do that and allow the grace, you know, allow this yourself the grace that sometimes you're going to mess up. I still mess up sometimes sure. and, and it's completely okay. Just get up, forgive yourself and just accept it and just move on. It's just a matter of knowing where you're at now 
acknowledging your strengths. Yeah, write down where you, what you need to work on, but really doing what it takes to build that confidence, which can be talking money, which is a hard one. But if you really master that and really get more comfortable around that, that's definitely going to do wonders for you. Acknowledging your money wins. Uh, another thing that I love doing with my clients uh, that builds in this confidence is creating a dream budget. So we have, you know, we're all talk about budgets and do we, we need really to need to budget? Do we really need to budget? I mean, oh, and I, uh, my answer is yes, mm-hmm. but but you what I what's really interesting and what's really important to know is that we think of budgeting as very restrictive and it just takes so much time, but we really need to know what stage there's. In my opinion, there's four stages of budgeting or or in your financial life. So you have to recognize what stage you're in. So if you're in a stage that you're trying, you're in the, in the moment that you're trying to figure out where you're at financially, you maybe your, your money is all in chaos. Yes. You're needing to budget. Your budget intensity is high. So you are needing to look at those numbers more often, but maybe you've now you're at a point where you're getting more clarity, that intensity of budgeting lessens. And as you go, as you establish your systems, which a lot of people are missing and you get those working again, you're still needing to budget, but maybe you don't need to have that budget straight in front of you all the time. So the budgeting intensity lessens as you progress and have your financial house in order. the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you, and it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. Thank you for saying that because I feel like I'm in a place in my life where I have thresholds in my head. It's sort of like I don't have a paper budget or I don't, you know, use an Excel spreadsheet or any sort of tool to monitor my budget per se. Mm-hmm. But I guess because I've just been doing it for so long, I've been uh, thinking and acting res- hopefully responsibly with my money for so long as part of my job, but also because I want to and need to. Uh, that at this stage, if if I'm in a stage of my budgeting, I think I would say it's like it's on autopilot where mm-hmm. I just know what my thresholds are. Like I just won't spend a certain amount of money on certain things because that's what I've been training myself to to do. I think that's a good thing. Um, the more money I make doesn't necessarily mean the more I should spend on things. I just don't think that way. Maybe it means I can add things to my life that I didn't have before. I can give back more, but it doesn't mean that, oh, now I can spend another... 20% on this item that I normally spent less on. I don't think like that. 
Right. And then what you brought up is that when those things happen, as you make more money, that's maybe when you check in and adjust the budget, whether it's how, but it's really all goes to systems. If you, It sounds like you have a system in place. I know you do. And when you have those systems in place, it's basically taking your budget on your spreadsheet or on your sheet of paper and put it into action right? That's how I see it. And that's how I like how I set up my systems where I take that budget spreadsheet and just create a 3D version or just, if you will, just a more actionable way of doing it. I love that. Um, So we talked about forgiveness. We talked about how a lot of us are just getting 10% of our financial life right. That was you. You mentioned also that you grew up with this kind of scarcity mindset. Your parents, you you were you were raised outside of the country in South mm-hmm. America. Can you talk about the cultural differences with being raised, I believe it's in Colombia versus mm-hmm. growing up in the states, you're you're raising children here. Uh what what kind of money mindset differences are there between the two cultures? Well, it's interesting because I was raised, my father is American. So I was born in Colombia. My father's American. So there, there was the cultural differences in between my mother and my father already. Right. So he was definitely the gringo all the way, uh, where basically, you know, the sky was the limit. And my mother, it was grew up in a family where everything, it was like hardworking. It was just money was really, really hard to come by, uh, especially um, as my grandmother raised her uh, as a single mom. And uh, at a time where basically she, they survived on uh, what she was, um, she sewed clothes for people and that's how she raised her kids. So money was definitely very scarce, which I, this is, this is how I know my mom, how how she thinks, right. And still to this day, she still has those thoughts and I still hear it as we have conversations. So when we moved to the U S that was an interesting time too. I was eight years old and being that we moved, it was basically starting over for my parents. So Money at that time was definitely scarce, but, and I continued to hear those messages. So I knew being the opportunities that in the U.S. and in Colombia, I don't recall at that age, uh, being able to babysit or doing maybe some yard work for someone and earning money. That was, I don't recall that. Maybe things have changed, but coming to the yes, it was more opportunities to earn that money, uh, especially as uh, me as a 10 year old and knowing that my parents didn't have money and I wanted to get some things. I wasn't that kid that asked them for money because mm-hmm. they already told me time and time again, we don't have it. So I knew not to ask. So instead I would find my ways to babysit and, or, um, uh, so, uh, do some yard work, those type of things. So it was definitely, it's hard to say as far as the cultural differences, but what I saw was my father being an American, uh, the sky was a limit, but my mother uh, being born, born and raised in Colombia, there was that mentality of, um, or basically it was a mentality. It's just the, her experience and her family of how hard money was come to or how hard money was, um, it was hard to come by. I couldn't get that out. <laughs> All right. Time now for our Chase Slate So Money question of the day, Jen. And the question is, what is your number one financial habit? 
I would say my number one financial habit is putting the our savings on autopilot. We put our emergency, sa- all types of savings. I'm not talking about just one type of savings. Uh, retirement, uh, the emergency savings, our financial goals. So we always are putting away for travel, for the next car purchase, those things that are important. So really automating all those things makes our life easier. What are you hoping for next in your financial life? Like what stage are you in now? What's an, what's something that you want to achieve in the next year or two? Especially this is like the time of year where people are setting resolutions and goals. Does, do you and your husband have like another level that you want to get to? Yes. Well, basically, we are at the point in our lives. Uh, this is uh, year 17 of our marriage and year 17 of being active duty military. So we're nearing that retirement time. And so it could be three years, it could be seven years, depending on what happens uh, in the next uh, several years with uh, with his career. So basically, the next thing is just really looking into our forever home, right? And really starting to save and think about where we want to be. So it's thinking in terms of uh, where we want to be geographically and starting to save for that forever home. I am in the same boat. You know, I don't know when we're going to move, but it hopefully will happen in the next five years. But as you know, and everyone knows, like buying a home is not just something that you can decide overnight, nor can the can it happen, you know, within even a month or so, unless you have all this cash? So we need to save and save and save over the next couple of years to be able to upgrade in Brooklyn. Uh, I just don't want to move to New Jersey. Nothing against people who live in New Jersey, but <laughs> it's really something that you have to decide ultimately. You're either going to get priced out of where you are or you have to buckle down and figure out a way to make it work. And we're going to do the latter. And it'll be harder to do it, but I think we'll be happier. And it it takes time. And it's something that we've been doing, but it's something that I want to continue to increase our savings for because we don't know, like I said, could be at the three years, you know, three years from now. And also my, I've got a high schooler, Farnoosh, and he's a freshman just thinking that he's almost done with his freshman year. That means three more years. And granted, we've been putting away for his uh, college and he doesn't know. Uh, But that's the next part too, is just making sure we've been having those conversations with him because he right now he wants to go to Cornell and it's a private university. It's a lot of money. So I, we try to have those conversations as to what does that really look like with the tuition? Because again, he doesn't know where you have been saving up to this point. So in his eyes, he he has to make do himself. So we're trying to prepare him uh, with those conversations as to what does this look like? What kind of career do you want to have? Is that career, are you going to have a, a good ROI with that career in, in comparison to the tuition that you're paying? Uh, so um, it's it's crazy, the things that are coming up. Well, at least he's, he's got you as a mom <laughs> giving him the advice. A lot of kids don't get that ROI conversation before college starts. So he's already ahead of the curve. Um, you self-published this book. Yes. And that happened after you had a bit of a not so great experience with a publisher. So tell us how you made the decision to self-publish and why why that was necessarily the better move for you. Well, basically, uh, I got uh, approached by a traditional publisher, which was definitely just 
just, I was humbled. Uh, and I decided let's do this because it wasn't even on my radar at that time. And I decided, well, let's do this. This is just a huge honor. And it put me to work. So basically, I'm really, really grateful to this publisher because the deadline and I got the manus manuscript done. Granted, it needed a lot of editing <laughs> and a lot of editing it did get. But at some point, we weren't able to really agree upon the book cover. And, and fortunately, this was all amicable and everything, but I needed to, uh, publishers, at least in my experience with that one publisher, they have their vision of the uh, type of book cover they want with all their books, right? And I needed to stand proud with my book because I'm the one that is promoting it and I'm the one that's selling it, right? So we parted ways and then the, the really I had to decide do I go and pitch myself uh, and try to get another traditional publisher or do I self-publish? So I was impatient. I'm like, I don't want to take the time to try to pitch myself. I was really had worked so hard on this book. So I decided to go to the self-publishing route. And I think it was the best decision for me. I found this great book cover designer. I found a fantastic editor that really kicked my butt. She really got into my head. It was crazy. I would write even Facebook posts or texts. And I would, it's like she was right there sitting on my shoulder as I was writing this text. <laughs> Is that clear enough? And all these <laughs> things that she uh, would share with me uh, as she's editing my book. And then I found what's called a micro self-publisher. So basically, um, this company take, does everything for me in terms of the interior formatting and everything that needs to get done to get on Amazon. Uh, and so that was that's fantastic. And the difference is, yes, they get paid, but they don't get paid. They don't get the uh, they just get paid an upfront fee. So uh, to be able to uh, do the interior formatting, but they don't have any rights to the book. It's it's my they're all it's still all my under my rights. Well, congratulations! And I'm, you know, every story, every journey has a twist and a turn, and ultimately, you I think got what you deserved and what you needed. And uh, you're happy with it? Is it everything you thought it would be? Becoming a published author. It's been crazy. I, I it is. I didn't know what to expect at all, but it's really, it's been humbling. I've learned so much. I've gotten more clarity, honestly, in writing that book. I've gotten more clarity as to how I take my clients through the process and why I've had these thoughts of the dream budget and the other things that I do with them. And it, I've, was, I've been able to put it together. So that's been fantastic. And just the support around me, like yourself, has just been definitely humbling. Amazing. Well, uh, I just want to say congratulations again. The oh, book, thank you. The book is called Her Money Matters, The Missing Truths from Traditional Money Advice. Everybody go pick it up. Jen's website is jenhemphill.com. We've got all that information back at somoneypodcast.com. And, and Jennifer, does anyone call you Jennifer? I just, um, I just pulled Some that do. out. Some do, but I you go by Jen. 
but I go, I go by Jen. I used to go by Jennifer, but as I started my business, people, my clients were calling me Jen. I'm like, okay, Jen, it is. It's easier to have a jenhempill.com than jenniferhempill.com. It's a little shorter. Yeah. Well, uh, this is right in time for Valentine's Day too. So if Mm -hmm. you want to bring this book back into your relationship, not a bad idea. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. Have a great new year and happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you. And thanks so much for having Furnish. It's just always great talking to you. All right. Thanks so much to Jen for joining us. You can learn more about Jen on her website, jenhemphill.com. She's also on Twitter at Jen Hemphill. That's with three L's, Jen Hemphill, three L's. Also be sure to check out her book, of course, Her Money Matters, which launched yesterday. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.